Hey, welcome this morning. I hope you had a really great Thanksgiving. I hope you ate too much, slept in too long, had a great post-turkey nap or coma. I know some of you out there, okay? Four hours is not a nap, all right? It's basically going to bed, especially for me as a new parent. <laughs> well, welcome to the last week of our series, Life Is. If we haven't met yet, my name's Alex, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church Livonia. And in this series, we've been in the middle of our building campaign. And um, time is still available if you want to sign up for joining us and raising funds for uh, the permanent facility that we believe God has for us. But in this time, we've been trying to remind ourselves of the why that we're doing this. And so Life Is has been a series on our mission and vision. Our vision at Life Church Livonia is real people, real God, real life. That real people would come to know our real God and experience real life and life to the full in Jesus. And our mission at Life Church Livonia is no grow go. We do that by having people come to know Jesus, grow in relationship with him and his body, growing into Christian maturity, and going to serve the world. We've taken a look at how this is not just what Life Church is about, but this is what life is all about. So last week was Baptism Sunday. We had an amazing, amazing time. I'm especially grateful for Luvi's testimony in Spanish. The body of Christ speaks many languages across many hundreds of years. And the kingdom of heaven will not be in English. It will be this uh, cacophony of all nations. And I'm interested to see what heavenly language we will all speak together. But it was just a privilege to get a glimpse at that multicultural, multi-ethnic mosaic that Jesus calls his family. Last week, we also talked about the powerful and um, missional movement of God throughout the world as we go with him on, on Jesus' mission to heal the world and save the lost. And we got to experience an incredible mountaintop moment of victory as we celebrated our building campaign and we celebrated our baptisms. And these mountaintop moments of life are uh, so beautiful when we go with God and we see him do something that only he can do. We see light went over darkness. We see hope went over hopelessness. We see light, uh, good over evil. However, when we go with God, we don't just go with him to the mountaintops, do we? We go with him to the desert as well. And so the question that I want to answer today is, how do we go with God through the desert? Well, in 2002, my parents came to my siblings and I and told us that we were going to be moving because they felt like God was calling us to plant a church. I was nine or ten at the time, and I didn't understand. You see, we were living in this place called Bear Lake Bible Camp. It was a Christian summer camp where my parents worked and Man, it was paradise to me. My house was in the corner of the camp, so my front yard was 99 acres of fields and forests, and my backyard was this beautiful hill that led down to this lake, and you know, I was able to just go out and wander around after breakfast and come back when I was hungry or it was dark. It was just an amazing, amazing place to be. Every day was a new adventure, full of wonder, full of discovery, full of joy as we'd climb trees, we'd go swimming, we'd get in little fights with each other, we'd run down the steepest hill we could find, we'd pick up a stick and call it our magic staff, we'd catch fireflies, you know, it was just a joy to be there. And every summer all of my closest friends would gather together and we would come to camp and live together for a week and just have some of the best times of my life. So when my parents told us we were moving, I was crushed. I said, why? You know, what's wrong with our life? What's wrong with Bear Lake? Why would God ever want to take this away from me? And the day we drove away from camp to move to Canton, Michigan, I still remember watching my house get further in the distance through tears that I couldn't keep back. 
For just two hours, I cried. All the way to Canton. And the little 10-year-old Alex leaving Bear Lake was a, it was a death. It was a grief. It was a loss. I felt like I had lost my home. And I just couldn't understand why God would want to take me away from home. To leave a place that felt so perfect and precious to me, a place where I felt so loved and safe. It not only felt dissonant, it felt cruel. And I thought, how could this possibly be God's will? And if it is, how could he possibly be good? Doesn't he see how this makes me feel? Well, we had left to plant Life Church Canton. And at the time, I didn't understand why I had to lose something so important to me for that church to be planted. But 20 years later, uh, I'm not wondering anymore. You know, God, I was so focused on what I was losing, but God was focused on what he was growing. You see, it wasn't about me losing Bear Lake. It was about thousands of people coming to know Jesus through the Life Church Network. And I just couldn't see that. God was seeing something bigger than me. And it wasn't about what he was taking from me. It was about what he wanted to do through my family and through me. And so all these years later, it wasn't about me losing my home. It was about you finding yours here in Christ. So, I, you know, I was consumed with what I was letting go, but God was concerned with what he wanted to grow. And all of us go through grief and loss and heartache. It's just a normal part of life. Death visits all of us in various ways, in various stages and in various forms. The world has fallen and so are we. We experience things like miscarriages. We experience things like friendships ending. We experience broken family relationships and we experience divorce. We experience death in the family. We experience mental illnesses. We experience religious trauma. Many pastors have fallen into sin, many spiritual leaders. And, and maybe you're in a place where a spiritual leader you trusted betrayed that trust. Maybe some, they took a hard stance on something politically or socially, or maybe they had a sin uh, falling that broke your trust in them. Wherever you're at today and whatever losses may be currently happening in your life or have happened, Jesus is deeply acquainted with that feeling of loss. He was betrayed by his closest friends. Of the 12 men that he made apostles, only one showed up at his death. He experiences the people who claim to worship God nailing him to a cross instead of repenting and glorifying him. And then on top of that, one of his closest friends commits suicide the same day. There's no community in the world where grief and loss are not just a part of the process. To be together is to walk with each other through loss. And one of the things that I learned was my loss was not just an ending, but a new beginning for what God wanted to do for a new community. Jesus' losses, however, end in a resurrected life, not in a destroyed life. And that's a promise that he holds out to you and holds out to me. That somehow these griefs and losses can enlarge our souls and leave us more whole instead of more broken through the mysterious resurrection power of God. But how? Right? That's the question. Well, I believe that in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus shows us how to go with God through the deserts of life. So up to this point in the scripture, Jesus has just spent the last 30 years of his life in total anonymity. He hasn't really been doing any miracles. He hasn't been preaching or teaching. He has been in total obscurity, growing and maturing. Jesus spent nine-tenths of his earthly life growing and becoming rooted in the Father. In this passage, 
that we're about to read is the point where his ministry on earth officially begins. And in this passage, he takes his first steps into public ministry to launch God's plan to redeem and restore the world, to heal the hurting, and to save the lost. So we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 3 as Jesus' ministry is officially inaugurated. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Then Jesus replied, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. So when Jesus was baptized, this is the first time recorded since Jesus' birth when the Trinity is seen all together again, right? That the Father is speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit, God's presence is physically present with the people, and the Son of God is standing in this river upon the earth. This is a holy and profound moment. And I just can't wait to hear from Jesus himself what it was like to experience that after being a human being for 30 years. This is a mountaintop experience of God. And from that mountaintop experience, God's immediate next thing after this beautiful reunity with his son is to send him into the desert to get attacked by the devil for 40 days. (laughs) You just go like, what are you doing? Why is that loving? Why would you do that, God? And, And... This is one of the things that we begin to see. It's just a principle of life. God leads us from the mountains of life into the desert, almost always in that order. Because the mountain is where we receive revelation. It's where we receive understanding. It's where we have this new experience of or blessing from God. The mountaintop is where our faith is grown and we have new insights and we go, I get it now, Lord. And the valley takes that faith. And it turns it into faithfulness, which is the transition from a godly lesson to a godly person. One of the things my dad used to say to me a lot that that I have never forgotten is never mistake the lack of opportunity for the presence of character. It's easy to judge somebody for falling in some way or sinning in some way or acting in some way. You go, man, I would never do that. But often... We've never even been tempted to. We haven't even had the opportunity, the power, the position, the placement to even have to say no to it. And it's when we face temptation and say no that our character is proven. And one of the things we learn here, just in that brief two-sentence transition, is that the deserts of life are inescapable. Whether God leads you into the desert or you wander out there yourself because of bad decisions, whether you experience trauma like betrayal or divorce or a health crisis, or whether you're just pulled kicking and screaming out into the desert by the devil himself, all of us experience the desert. It is inescapable. In fact, St. John of the Cross says the desert is a normal, natural part of the Christian life. St. John's gift to the church was his compilation of how what he saw the normal natural life cycle of the Christian life is. And here are the six stages of the Christian journey 
that has been put together based on St. John's work, The Dark Night of the Soul, which is a book I'd highly recommend if you're in that season right now. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. So stage one is a life-changing awareness of God. This is a moment where we either have a new revelation and go, oh my gosh, Lord, I see you so clearly. I have such this intimacy with you. Was I even saved before? Or we come to salvation for the first time, right? That's stage one. It's this like, oh my gosh, everything is different now. Stage two comes after stage one where we go like, if this is true, I got to get better at this. And we start growing in knowledge and going, man, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm following this preacher and I'm reading this book and I started a new Bible study. You know, we're just learning, 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 learning as much as we can. And then stage three comes after that where we go, wow, I'm learning all this stuff, but I got to do something about it, right? And so we start serving at church and we take up an instrument. We start playing on the worship team. We start serving at our local soup kitchen. We start to get to know homeless people, you know, at whatever it is. Is we start to serve God in whatever way we can figure out how to serve Him. And then stage four happens. And stage four is what St. John would call the dark night of the soul, or Pete Scazzaro would call the wall, or in this case today, we would call it the desert. Stage four is a crash, it's where something in your life crumbles. Because here's the thing about the desert the desert is where everything dies. That's what deserts are known for. Nothing survives out there. And whenever we go out into the desert, something's going to die. The desert's the place of life where you're just like, oh my gosh, Jesus, if something doesn't change right now, I'm not making it out of here the same way I came in. Something is going to die out here. And that's the wall. And it's at this stage that most people decide to leave the faith. But if we persevere with God in the dark night of the soul, if we can walk with Jesus through the desert, what we found is that it, it creates this journey inward where we have to just reconstruct all these pieces of our soul that get broken by the hardships of the desert. And as we reconstruct the inward life, we begin to journey outward again. You know, and it's easy in the desert to think, man, I used to be so close to God. I was serving at church in this way, and I was doing this in ministry, and I was so much stronger, and I was so much wiser, and life was so much better. But this place is important, and it's a place of transformation. And so after the, the wall comes a journey outward, and then stage six is when we're transformed by love. We're now having been tested and been proven and having that faith of the mountaintop turned into a faithful character. We come to know God's love again like it's the first time and it restarts the life cycle. So I just ask, where do you see yourself in the journey today? Maybe you're at stage one. You just start experiencing a life-changing awareness of God. Maybe you're in stage two or three where you're just learning everything you can learn about him. We're doing all the things that we're telling you to do. And it's exciting. Maybe you're at stage four, where you're just in the churn right now, and life is overwhelming. Maybe you're at stage five. The aftermath of the crash is kind of settled, and you're kind of beginning to come back to life and reality. Maybe you're at stage six, where you are from that place having this life-changing awareness of God. And, you know, you, you know you're in the desert, and not just that life is hard, because you go, man, unless something changes now, something's going to die out here. And that's exactly right. You know, 
When we say yes to Jesus, we inevitably reach a place where we cannot stay the same and move forward with Jesus. And that's part of God's normal and natural plan for Jesus, and it's part of God's normal and natural plan for you. The desert can feel like a place where we are oppressed by life, but it's also a furnace of transformation. And here's what I want you to know about the desert. We don't get to choose whether or not we go through it. We do get to choose what we lose out there. We do get to choose what dies in the desert. We don't get to choose whether or not we go through one. So is it going to be our joy that we lose? Is it going to be our peace that we lose? Is it going to be our ability to give and receive love that we lose? Is it going to be our marriage that we lose out in the desert? Is it going to be our kids? Is it going to be our friendships? Is it going to be our faith in God? Or is it going to be our need for the approval of others? Is it going to be our self-righteousness that dies in the desert? Is it going to be our need for control, our judgmental spirits, perhaps? Is it going to be our problems with authority or distrust of others? Is it going to be our tendency to put self-preservation over obeying God? God leads Jesus out into the desert on purpose because in the desert, Jesus is going to be tested and approved in some ways that may seem small now, but will end up determining everything later on. So let's continue with the passage. This is what happens next. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So for years, I read this passage, and I would just go... I don't get what the temptation is. You know, eating rocks, not really tempting. Throwing yourself off a building, again, does not feel that tempting to me, right? And over the years, I think the Lord has given me some insight on some of these passages. I don't think I've really got the whole picture. I think there will be more for me to learn here, but I want to share what I do have with you today. So the first temptation we see is when uh, Satan says this, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what's the temptation here? Well, first of all, Jesus is hungry. I mean, like, really hungry, right? He hasn't eaten in 40 days. That, most people would die. Like, his body is literally eating itself to survive. But why would it be sinful for him to make bread, right? I mean, why is Satan tempting him with baking? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, for a long time, I didn't get it, like I said. But... In just a few verses, God comes to end Jesus' fasting by sending angels to take care of him. And Jesus is waiting on God to provide for him in this place. Jesus has been waiting for God for 40 days. And I don't know if Jesus knows when the angels are coming, but they're just about to. Scripture doesn't say, but uh, and Scripture doesn't say if, if Jesus knows the angels are coming or not. But what it does show us is that Jesus is waiting on God to provide for him. And Satan's temptation is, you got power, buddy, provide for yourself. 
Your body can only go three to four days without water, and it can go 30 to 35 days without food. It's a divine miracle Jesus is even alive at this point. And the need Satan is tempting him to fill is literally a need that is killing Jesus in the desert. But Jesus says no. He says no. God is the only one who can ultimately fulfill my needs. And in this interaction, Jesus puts something to death in the desert. He puts to death a powerful internal barrier. You see, Jesus loses the need to use his own power to provide for himself. And instead, he trusts God to provide for him. Temptation number one. Let's move on to temptation number two. Satan's not pleased that baking didn't work is the temptation. And so he tries again. And he says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this one was harder for me to understand, again, because it's just like, why is throwing yourself off a tall building tempting? You know, like, I don't get it. I don't get, like, what the temptation is here. I don't, I don't know why this would have been hard for him to say no to. So then I asked myself the question, okay, so what would have happened if Jesus had thrown himself off the building, right? I mean, the angels probably would have saved him. It's not Jesus's time to die yet. He's going to die on the cross. However, if Jesus had thrown himself off, sure, the angels would have saved him. But what he would have done is done that to prove to Satan that he was the son of God. Right? He would have done it to prove himself to the devil. The temptation here is Satan is saying, Oh yeah, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, prove it. Jump off the temple. The Bible says God will save you. And Jesus says, No, I don't need to prove myself to you. God knows who I am. The temptation for us to prove ourselves is so strong. We try to prove ourselves to our bosses try to prove ourselves to our parents, try to prove ourselves to our kids. We try to prove ourselves to ourselves. Many of us spend too much time chasing the carrot at the end of the stick, hoping that if we do this or say that or get that promotion or join this club or serve in that way at church, that then just maybe we'll be enough. We'll have proved that we're worthy. And maybe then this whole inside of me will start to dissipate. And Jesus just says no. I'm not playing that game. I know exactly who I am in the Father, and guess what? So do you, Satan. And in this moment, Jesus loses another internal barrier that gets left in the desert. Jesus loses the need to prove himself. Now we move on to temptation number three. Again, Satan's plan has been frustrated for the third time, and the Bible says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So this time, Satan takes Jesus up to this tall mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And let me just say, this is a miraculous moment, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a top of a mountain. You can't see all the kingdoms of the world. I'm just going to let it, you know, right now. You know, if you've got a local mountain near you, you're not going to see the whole world from the top of that sucker. So this is a miraculous, powerful moment. And Satan's flexing a little bit, right? He's like, boom, see this, Jesus? All of it. That's right. You can see it from here. And guess what? It could be yours. You just got to worship me. And again, I didn't understand why this was a temptation. Jesus is God. 
He knows he shouldn't worship the devil. Why is this so difficult? What's the temptation here? And then I remember why Jesus came. Jesus' mission on earth is to save sinful humanity. And what Satan is offering him here is the power and platform to do it without the cross. You have a message you want to preach to the world, Jesus? Guess what? You can be king of it. I can give that to you. You just got to do one thing. You got to worship me. When you're going to sign on the dotted line, just give me a little look and I'll give you the nod. But you just got to run stuff by me. I just got to be top dog in your life. I got to be the one that has the final say in your decisions. And if you do that, you can be king in the world. Guess what? No cross. It's a classic wrong thing for the right reason shortcut. Satan is offering Jesus name recognition, authority, reach, influence, power, and all without the suffering of the cross. But Jesus' eyes are so fixed on the Father that his purpose on earth goes so far beyond the shallow motives of just minimizing pain and maximizing impact. Jesus is unwilling to abandon God's way for a way that looks like a shortcut. So Jesus says no. He says that his power, his authority, his influence will come from God and God alone. And the only approval he needs is the approval of God, not the approval of Satan or anyone else, that God is going to be the center of his world and the Father is going to be the one that Jesus looks to for the final call. And if God's plan involves the cross, then it's to the cross Jesus is going to go. The temptation to trade approval for influence and power is a strong, strong, strong temptation in American culture. And the temptation to avoid suffering is a strong, strong, strong temptation. It's literally the engine that drives social media, right? Likes. Get enough of them and you're an influencer. It's one of our greatest barriers to producing fruit in the American body of Christ. It's this tangled nest of thorns that is constantly tempting the church in America to avoid the cross for the sake of impact and popularity. And in this moment, Jesus loses that in the desert. He loses the desire to trade approval for influence and power. And he loses the desire to avoid suffering. He needs no approval but God's and he seeks no approval but God's. And he trusts God to give him whatever power God wants him to have and whatever powerlessness God wants him to have. And then Satan leaves. Because Satan was hoping to find Jesus' price, you know? He was hoping he could find a weakness that would allow him to keep Jesus from producing fruit, but he finds none. And later at the crucifixion, when Jesus' mission on earth is at its climax, each of these temptations comes up again. Temptation number one, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is being arrested unjustly. Peter comes to his defense, attacking the people there. And Jesus rebukes Peter saying, Peter, don't you think that I could fix this if I wanted to? I have legions of angels at my command right now who would put an end to this in an instant if I let them. But we're not going to do that, Peter. We're going to do this different. Jesus does not rely on his own power to save him in that moment because he lost that in the desert. Temptation number two. Then as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, the crowd shouts back at him, If you really are the Son of God, come down from there and we'll believe you. You're the Son of God. You say you're the Messiah. Prove it. But Jesus stays on the cross, and he's content to be weak and powerless on the cross because he's after the Father's approval for his life, not the crowd's. He's able to submit to God's way of powerlessness because he let the need to prove himself die in the desert. And then number three, 
Finally, Jesus is able to submit to that powerlessness and weakness, being naked and ashamed on the cross. But he doesn't take control. He doesn't feel the need to be in charge. He's content in that weakness and powerlessness because he's after God's approval. He's worshiping the Father, and he's not going to avoid suffering for the sake of popularity, power, influence, or impact. He's able to submit to God's way of powerlessness because he let his need for approval from anybody else go in the desert. But we know the end of the story, right? Jesus doesn't stay powerless. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He did not stay in the grave, and Jesus is not staying in heaven forever. He rose from the dead, and the Father gives him all power, all praise, all authority, all glory on heaven and earth for all time. And he offers sinful humanity a free gift of life, free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, and free from the power of death, all because Jesus lost the right things in the desert, and he wants you to lose the right things out there too. Listen, I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know that some of you are in a desert right now. You know, it just feels like an endless stream of fights, struggles, hard lessons, issues, and things that keep coming up. You might be feeling like party is dying, just crying out to God, wondering what in God's literal name is going on in my life right now. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you. You cannot avoid this desert, but you do get to choose what dies out there. And the things God is trying to get you to put to death out in the desert are vital for the fruit he wants you to bear with your life. So please hear my voice today. Do not give up. God has led you out here and God will lead you through it. It is not to harm you, but it's for an even greater good. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. Yes, you have no control. Yes, it's scary. Yes, you've been feeling the devil just breathing down your neck, but do not forget it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus out into the desert, and it's the Holy Spirit that is with you now. So let me ask you this morning, what does God want you to lose in the desert this morning? You may have been letting your marriage die. You may have been letting your faith die. You may have been letting your joy die or your hope die. You may have been letting your love for others or your generosity die. You may have been letting your patience die. You may have been letting your belief in other people's goodness die. But maybe it's your pride that God wants to put to death. Maybe it's your selfishness. Maybe it's your need for approval. Maybe it's your need to be in control. Maybe it's just that you're scattered. And you don't mean to, but you end up being trustworthy, untrustworthy because your yeses don't stay yes and your noes don't stay no. Maybe God's pulling you up into maturity to handle your life differently. Maybe God's trying to put your cynicism out to, de to death out in the desert. I don't know what it is, but just in your own heart right now, just ask the Lord, like, God, what in me are you trying to put to death out here? Because something's going to die, but you get to choose what it is. And just see what the Lord tells you. I just want to invite you to be brave. I know the desert feels like a curse, but if you let God put the right things to death in you, you will find the pain of the desert will turn your life into a gift to the world. This is the call of Christ, to follow Jesus to the cross and trust that he will raise you to new life. Maybe you've been in the desert and what died out there was your relationship with God. Maybe you've, been, you've felt that your whole life has been a desert and you felt like God wasn't there for you when you needed him. Maybe you're in the desert right now and you're trying so hard to hold on, so hard to do the right thing, so hard to make it out. But it's just hard. And my words to you are just take heart. Because Jesus knows what it's like to go through the desert. 
And Jesus died on the cross, not just to obey God, but to take all of your sin, all of your shame, and all the world's brokenness and pain upon himself and put it to death on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he rose to offer you a new kind of life, to make you a new kind of person, to be born again in him, to escape from judgment and live in life and life to the full, both in this life and the next. So wherever you find yourself today, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. If you feel God pulling on your heart to commit or recommit your life to him, I just invite you to raise your hands with me at home and pray to type it in the chat, let us know via connection card. And I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I need you. I've let the wrong things die in the desert and I've run from the pain. I've tried to avoid what you've been putting to death in me and, and God, I just ask for your forgiveness. I believe that the other side of this is better than my life before it. I trust that. And I turn to you right now and ask that you would be the Lord of my life and that you'd provide for me in this place where everything is dying. Give me the courage, Lord, to follow you to the cross. And I just ask that you'd be gentle with me as you put these sinful parts of me to death and raise me to new life in the Father. I trust you for salvation. I trust you in the desert. And I trust you for the new life I don't feel yet, but I know is to come. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. You're not, you may be in the desert, but you're not going through it alone. We're here to walk with you. And so please reach out via that connection card and we'll see you next week.